Welcome to Bayer Hortcast with your field representatives from right around Australia. In this Hortcast, we'll give you a quick wrap-up of the season at hand and things to look out for, including events coming up around you and everything related to growing healthy horticultural crops. We are passionate about the future of horticulture and crop protection, and we look forward to having you join us on Bayer Hortcast. Welcome to Bayer Hortcast. This is episode eight. My name's Craig White. I'm a market development agronomist with Bayer Australia over in Western Australia. Uh, but I'm joined today by two very good guests, very important people in the horticultural industry. Uh, the first person being Marcel Veens, who is a well-known horticultural advisor, and the other person is one of my colleagues, market development agronomist in horticulture, Troy Mulcahy. How are you going, guys? We are very good. Very good. So, Marcel, I'll come to you in a second, but you're up in Queensland uh, near home today or at home, which is fantastic while we're recording. And Troy, uh, you're down in Victoria, yes? That's that's correct. So, uh, got a nice sunny day here in Victoria, which they've been few and far between. Uh, so, enjoy today. Excellent. No, it's very good. And look, we're covering a good, good uh, amount of the country across the three states at the moment. So, I hope you listeners will find this Hawkcast very, very interesting and we'll touch on the state of the poem and uh, stone industry, poem and stone fruit industry, as well as other topics, I'm sure, and uh, bring in a few uh, bits there of Marcel's experience and what he's been seeing around the countryside. And then Troy, I'm sure you'll be able to just show if any uh, products and services fit in those particular topic areas or whatever that might be. So I'm just going to turn to you first, Marcel. Now you're a very well-known horticultural advisor right throughout Australia. Uh, many, many people listening, I'm sure, will know you. Uh, and you've been advising for a long time, come from a, a long line of fruit growers, orchardists, um, through through your family as well. Uh, also, I note that you you know you received last year the APAL Research and Extension Award, which was really fantastic and I think really testament to what you offer growers out there. So, Marcel, I'll just hand over to you and just get you to tell listeners just very briefly about yourself. Uh, I'm sure many know that already, but just recap on that and then we'll just go into what you've been seeing as the borders have opened up. And I know you love travelling and have been able to get around the country a little bit more in recent weeks. Yes, I'll start with the travelling part a little bit. This, um, just for the information, I've been travelling to Tasmania and South Australia and for the first time again almost in a year to Western Australia. Um, but I've been regular visit basically in Tasmania and South Australia once I could go there from Queensland. And um, But uh, definitely has affected my business. I could not travel so much as I liked. I've been a few times last year to Victoria, but also I had a few times that I was in Victoria and basically had to escape again out of Victoria. <laughs> Otherwise, closed the border on me. That's, um, people don't realize how difficult it is between states. We have all different rules. And um, um, yeah, I, I think that's really, that we close the borders to national is probably one thing, but that we close the borders between the states is for people like myself and probably also in your company, it's probably not really helpful, you know. This, uh, but anyway, we know why they do it and why they did it. And anyway, it is what it is, just we're not going to change that. So I studied in Holland and um, I come from actually my nephews, my even people who my from my family who immigrated to Canada, they always are fruit growers and um, 
this it is a long line of fruit growers in my family and uh, still is although i must admit um, in europe the prices have been low and a few of my brothers are older than me and basically when they are around 70 they sell the properties and don't fruit they don't grow any fruit anymore but still i got probably six left who are still fruit growers in holland at the moment uh, very interesting but, that brings a lot of experience and uh, obviously growing up that way and knowledge i think that's really important which is what you then impart on to Australian growers uh, for the benefit of everybody and as you said those borders have been really tricky but one thing we know Marcel and Troy is that the you know food growing businesses had to go on and actually probably become even more important to, uh, to to have good fresh fruit and vegetables coming into the market for people to keep that side of the you know of life as normal as possible. Well, I think so Waddy I'll, I'll jump in there um I think, yeah, you know, the crops don't stop for anything, anything. So, um, you know, whether it's advice from Marcel or having an input in the shed at the right time to, to grow, for a grower to grow their crop is really, really critical. So, um, you know, when I reflect back on the last really two years from Victoria, travel has been on and off, but um, it's really made, you know, been important for us to make sure that our supply chains are really strong and our production at the back end, that the growers can access the products that they need. Particularly in the early part of COVID, there was a lot of... Um, you know, a little stress about having the right products at the right time. And, um, you know, although the, you know, I guess communication with maybe growers, particularly our grower, our, our, um, our distribution network has definitely been different over the last, you know, period of time, uh, less less one-on-one, less FaceTime for sure, um, and more computer interaction. Um, that's certainly been a challenge, but you know, I guess in terms of keeping the crops ticking over and also, um, you know, what's been pleasing from our end, Craig, is we've been able to just keep the, the pipeline um, development programs going within Bayer, within horticulture. So uh, there's really been minimal disruption up front, which um, which is really important to make sure that um, our pipeline of products do do keep coming through, um, regardless of all the, all the changes. Yeah, and Marcel, from your side, um, you would agree with that, no doubt, and therefore advice from yourself and help to growers, you know, has just never stopped, I imagine, even through those border closures and difficulties. No, that's correct. And we did quite a bit of Zooms, of course, and I'm also uh, running a prediction model like Rimpro, and that's uh, lots of people have been using that for the, to predict basically, uh, we help for black spot control, but for mildew control, and it is... That's probably the most important tool that growers can use um, and also where I give advice on and we can do on the phone and Zooms is uh, making a better decision when to spray and I think when I've got probably now 70 or 80 people around the country who are using Brimpro and that's the user mainly for black spot, mildew and I would say um, calling moths. Calling moths is the tricky one in the beginning, lots of people were argued with me that it was not correct when they do the old fashioned um, growing degree dates. And uh, Rimpro has a little bit more knowledge in it, you know, they're looking to the evening temperatures. And But in general, I would say I can almost tell when they're going to catch the first moths in which states. And um, that's really impressive, you know, when, when people say, uh, catch the first month that was exactly what Rimco was showing up or even sometimes I phone them and I said you're going to catch the month this week and he said we didn't catch it yet but 
on a Friday we catch it. This is a pretty, only a few days difference between the model and in real time. It's very impressive, especially for new products like yourself, that for column months, if this timing is probably more critical than sometimes the chemical, you know, yeah. if you want week up one week earlier, makes a big difference. Yeah, no, I saw that on your website, uh, marcelveens.com.au, and right across there at the top, Rim Pro, and I wonder what that was about. So uh, perhaps tell me a little bit more about it. And Troy, have a think. Uh, let's explore this just a little. Um, have you used it or do you utilise it? Um, know of growers, you know, how they might use it and uh, Bayer products uh, of interest through it, I suppose. So what is it, Rim Pro, quickly, Marcel? Yeah, Rimpro is a prediction model, like I mentioned before. It was actually designed by Mark Trapman and Peter Trellovs and Marcello from Italy. And it is probably already 30 years old as well. It is not new. But they added a few more things on. Um, you know, it started with the black spot warning system and then it developed to a much more disease model. It is also used in the grapes. But I'm just starting to explore that a little bit more from my perspective. I'm not a great consultant, but there is some interesting data what people can use for the um, downy mildew assayer. Uh, um, it is an, um, for some people, I think, Troy, you had a look at it, or some people, yes. It is uh, very easy program it shows in graph where you have to spray and what is the timing and um, yeah i spent quite a lot of time with growers sending out warnings from this is the time you spray your calling months and for example to give you an idea at the moment in Bedlow and south australia the calling months are coming this year probably a week later than last year and that's airplane in comparison to and you see that in Yarra Valley as well, the normal years, it is probably the weather, the rain, and uh, it's probably less, but I expect that the calling moth season will be much longer than last year. You always get the same amount, except it goes much slower this year. You don't get a big peak in the beginning. There's, uh, anyway, there's something what people have to be aware of and um, be warned about probably, you know. So, Troy, if I could bring you in there, yeah. um, RimPro, and, you know, how does it have relevance? How does it help, you know, use a, uh, yeah, an insecticide or fungicide, if that's the, what you're tracing? Yeah, if you, if you see the model, you understand straight away why it is so helpful. You can see basically the, the flight from the moths. You can see, for example, the flight from the air clay, and then you see the larvae stage. Uh, yeah. And that makes it, uh, when you have the larvae stage, like the most products don't work, Growers got an idea that um, sometimes that when they catch moths, that that's where you aim for, but they don't do the damage. It is the larvae what does the damage, and that's with lycron and calling moths, definitely the case. And I must admit, with black spot, it is, uh, yeah, the, the most growers know black spot, but when you see it in the graph, when you get those infections, and you can see that your chemicals are washed up as well. We've got a program where you can put your sprays in and you look to the efficiency of the chemicals when it washes off and when you have to do a kickback. It makes the decision for a grower much better. And a lot of growers would say they looked on the Monday and make the spray decision for the whole week to 
looking just at Rimpro, you know, this, I think that's a much better timing. I think that's absolutely critical for the chemicals. But Troy, you can answer yeah. that. Well, I guess reflect, I, I kind of reflect back to almost this time last year when we were launching the AGO, um, our new um, new diamide insecticide, into um, particularly into pone fruit, if I talk about pone fruit, is um, uh, yes, well, we can access Rimpo and look at it generally. I, I'm certainly no expert, but I know when talking to growers and they're, they're making a decision when they want to, uh, put, say, a, a diamide chemistry like Viego, targeting the first generation that they're looking at RIMPRO and they're talking to you, Marcel, and they're also talking to local agronomists and, and maybe looking at other models and, and still need to make that decision on when to apply that insecticide. So I think from our point of view that we, we can show the data that we get the best performance from Viego at that specific timing, but the tools in itself like RIMPRO um, really help line that up and make that uh, happen in practice. And and certainly when we're you know, launching a product like Viego you know, in, in the first year last season, and um, you know, we want to give it to the best chance of success. So really understanding the models and, and trying to um, just have that conversation uh, almost on the side with, with the growers, um, probably not necessarily influencing the, the specific spray date, but um, just helping them get the best out of the chemistry has been really important. Um, I guess another level to that, Viego, you know, obviously Codling Moth is a, is a significant market, an important market that we're, um, we're targeting, but um, overlapping other pests like weevil. So, you know, you're looking at weevil emergence that may happen earlier or around the same time. Um, so there's also a decision that you may have to make um, where the pests, they may overlap at the same timing. That's the holy grail. You might be able to control both pests with one application, but in practice that may not happen. So, um that's, I guess, where we, we, we look at models and we, I guess we look at also the local people on the ground to give us some insight about about that timing around the pests so that we can, um, again, get the best out of a product like, like that. Yeah, really good to advice there. We certainly uh, use models in all facets of um, agriculture and they really do help um, along because we want to keep these chemistries, these things working for as long as possible. I'm sure neither of you uh, guys would disagree with that. No, that's correct. I think um, lots of chemicals get a little bit overused, and I think it's very important to keep that, um, um, yeah, that resistance management in place. That we don't overuse a good product too many times in a year, and that's also with fungicides, and that's also with. I'm a real fan of playing between the groups with chemicals, and um, you know, you've got Luna, for example, seven and eleven groups. I find it always a little bit dangerous. You've got two groups, and if you overuse those sprayers, then spray, sorry, then you are basically, how can I say that? You, you build up resistance for the two chemicals, not for one. There's, there's always a risk when you when people overuse. When it is good, a grower in general likes to use it much more than it should be used in the year. There's, I think it's very important as consultants, but also advisors, other advisors, to make sure that um, it is only used maybe twice or three times a year or whatever the labels say that it is not done more often. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's really the role of models. They really help. Those things are, are amazing. Marcel, I find in uh, Broadacre area that I work a lot in as well um, is just so important. But it's also um, bringing you know pers- people like yourself along as we're developing a new product to see where it really fits and how to make sure you do use it properly because yeah, there's no point us launching something that's only going to last a few years. We really want them 
really want them to last. And just on that topic, I might just uh, ask Troy, if you could quickly, Troy, just what was the feedback from, I mean, Fayego came into the um, market last season. Just real quick, what was the feedback from the market so far and was it used really well? Yeah, so I guess um, yeah, it was our first commercial year with Viego across the board and um, the product itself probably evenly split across um, actually stone fruit and pone fruit and the other major market we was working into was almonds. Um, and probably the three, in terms of stone and pone, the three probably key species we had most um, feedback was around weevil management, particularly out of WA and SA, um, where I think for those guys being a new mode of action for that, that pest was really a welcome change just to mix up the grouping. And, and almost going back onto that uh, resistance management conversation, like new modes of actions is really, you know, they're really few and far between. So I think in that situation where you, you're you bringing in a rotational option, you know, has been um, probably, yeah, probably been a, maybe a more a more easier market to step into where, um, you know, the, probably the major markets when I think about the Golden Valley and actually most of the major growing region where we're targeting, targeting major, mainly uh, codling moth, um, you know, it's been a slightly different challenge where Group 28 are extensively used and have been for many years. Uh, so for those guys, they've really needed a reason to change. Um, so for us, it's been just really showing why Viego, uh, I guess, in practice in trials last year and also ba- based on our data and also some expertise out of out of Europe, um, you know, why it's, you know, we see it as a superior diamide. Um, not just purely because it's more um, broad spectrum, but also just in its pure efficacy. And, uh, you know, we are able to put some um, replicated demonstration sites together last year to put all the Group 28s together side by side um, so people can see it in the flesh. And, um, yeah, and I guess uh, I guess in terms of the feedback, I think for a market like Cobbling Moth, that allows to build a little bit of confidence that, um, you know, changing from an established Group 28 to Viego, which could be a big step, then that's, um, that becomes a, you know, a little bit safer to do so. So um, overall, we're very, very pleased. I guess outside of efficacy, the main comments we get around the formulation being a liquid formulation and, uh, you know, for most pests, it's a nice easy rate of 10 mils per 100 litres. And uh, so from a practical point of view and, uh, and and also from a compatibility point of view, we've had a you know, really fantastic uh, run around compatibilities with no, no real red flags at all throughout the season last year. So I think in a, in a practical sense, is, um, that has been sort of welcome feedback and um, we'll take into the to, to this year. Yeah, great, Troy. Look, there is uh, other Bayer Hawkcasts prior to this one. Uh, on a few episodes, we have talked extensively about the ego, if that's uh, something you're interested in picking up more on. Uh, Marcel, have you had much experience with it and got any comments? Yeah, we saw last year, and again, I advise a few people to use it, but uh, we have been using Altacore, for example, for like you mentioned, for years and years and for a long time. And and I can see that the control was not so good anymore. And that we were definitely desperate for having a little bit of different mode of action on the calling mod. And also the Weebles Invest in Australia, the Alta course has been very successful, but last couple of years we saw more and more Weeble damage. I think as a company like yourself, I think it is always important to keep almost looking for the next best thing but it's in certain moments you get always resistance for an insecticide. Whatever we do, it is just building up over the years. This, um, this that's I think very important for growers. I would say coming back on just control. Um, yes, I would say 
most growers who have used your products last year first up was very happy. Other people use it in the second spray, they were not so happy. I think again, there's a little bit of timing issue. Um, how do we get the best control out of the chemicals? You know, how we're going to use it? There's, um, there's again, it's, it just happens a little bit around the country. But I think overall, Kalimot was most people control it well. I have to say, this was good. Yeah, it's good to have a new product. Yeah, uh, good yeah. and, and a really good message there, Marcel, about getting good advice uh, from your, people like yourself, of course, uh, also from Bayer who have developed it, and hopefully uh, we've done a good job at that, Troy, I hope, and uh, bring people along to really understand how to get the most out of these. It's um, really, really good, and as I said, uh, more information in other podcasts about it, uh, but also on our Bayer Crop Science website, which is crop.bayer.com.au. Uh, while I'm talking about websites, Marcel, I had a look at your website as well and really, really good. So that's marcelveens.com.au. And I noted you uh, last year, 2020, you won the Research and Extension Award for Excellence from APAL. And I did watch that and have a little uh, pick up a few little points there. And um, some of the topics that you certainly raised were, you know, some of the challenges of climate, the environment and club varieties, which I found very interesting as well. Um, I wouldn't mind turning the conversation towards that and just ask you to expand slightly on those and what you're seeing as latest uh, perhaps technologies or ideas. I know you are in Western Australia last week and you saw some little drones and robots operating in an orchard down at Manjimup. Um, just, yeah. just touch on those. I know so climate, environment and club varieties, you know, what are the next big varieties and what are the challenges coming from those? But I'll, I'll just let you uh, talk uh, briefly to each of those points if you can. Yeah, I can. Um, yeah, club varieties is always very much, I would say, a talking point for growers. Um, I would have, I don't have all the answers. Okay, what's the next best variety? I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, the the thing is, like, this year is a very bad apple price year. Okay, we had one of the highest yielding crops in Australia, one of the biggest crops. In Australia last year, we had a very mild climate, there was not much sunburn, the apples grew very well, good size. There's, we have an overproduction probably from 10-15% at the moment in Australia. We don't do much export. There's, what it means for the local market is that the prices are low and maybe the COVID has also a little bit to do with it. People don't, yeah, I mean, some people lost their jobs, that they don't spend the money. Mm-hmm. Other people have not noticed any difference, but there is some pressure on price for the death rate. There's low prices this year. And again, you probably saw that club varieties this year are at least holding the price. People know where they sell for and they get, um, if the packouts are good and reasonable, good return. The year before, when we had high prices, Pink Lady would be more expensive than the club variety. Mm. But this year, the club varieties are basically winning on returns for the growers. But club varieties are difficult. Not everybody is in the club. That's what I mentioned. Um, you get clubs, and some people are in, and other people are not. If you get two camps, and it makes it very hard as a consultant. Although I do all the club varieties from my perspective, but for a grower who makes a decision to go in the club, but they're losing a little bit of control themselves. The marketing is done 
when not when they won, but more or less when the marketing arm from that club variety make the decision and look people want to be doing what they do but with the club variety you have to commit yourself to that variety and then in general you get rewarded for the for the investment you do and but it's hard there's a lot of costs taken out including my costs um, uh, promotion costs and yeah we always complain about that and I understand it is for the goal always the bottom line what is the most important. And this year, like I said, returns are poor. They're just breaking even or like making a little bit of money. Um, but it is definitely not a um, very good year. And that comes from all on top of we didn't have enough backpackers to pick the apples. We don't have enough labor. We got uncertainty this year, probably more than last year. And the year before, there was still a little bit backpackers around two countries, but they all left. Nobody is coming in to this country. Um, okay, we got the islands coming in. We saw that in Western Australia, but it's not enough people really to pick those crops. There's, there will be enormous pressure again when we harvest to get the crop on time, and um, I see that as probably one of the biggest challenges for this season is when we harvest um, to get it all in time. And, and this year was also a little bit of variation in quality. I can see that that late fruit was, after the fruit was picked a little bit late and a little softer fruit than it should be, and uh, more rejection from that. And look, it is a very difficult year for the growers in full stop, you know, on quality. Yeah. We thought we had less quality, but in the end, yeah, some people pick with, say, 100 people and they had 30. You know, that's a challenge, wow. just like that. Yeah, that's yes. a huge, huge yeah. impact. So, do you think some of the technologies that are coming, picking technologies, spraying technologies? I know that I saw a picture of the little drone oh. spraying on top. Do you think that is is there a future in that stuff? Oh yes, I would say yes. Look, also I think if you look actually how the future is, and we look if if we get more young people in this industry interested again. I mean, I saw the drones spraying. I, I'm convinced that that will do a fantastic job, you know. Um, but also, you attract young people who can actually operate and get licenses for those drones to spray in orchards. I think it brings young people back to the orchards, you know. Um, I think technology is very important, although the basis is always the same. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I always said I don't come with a computer. I always go back to the base and show people that. But also, you saw that in Western Australia, high dense blocks, more leaders per hectare. We talked about it. I think those blocks are so important for growers to go and have a look to the new growing systems this year. You know, that's um, you know we we came from say three and a half by one central leader tree has done a very good job for us the last 30 years, but now we look to the next future of developing an orchard. And that's what I called basically multiple leaders, systems, 40 centimeters apart, and looking around the 10,000 liters per hectare. And also that brings the efficiency from picking um, back to the growers and platform for picking, I always have um, a little bit of doubt, they are very good for uh, thinning, 
very good for pruning and when it comes to picking they are not so efficient than people think. Picking from the ground is always the one who win in in, in uh, picking per hour the kilos. This interesting enough I would say for me it is more important to change the orchards, the design from the orchards than probably coming in with with um, picking platforms, although I think when robots come in the future, and I'm always disappointed already for the last 10 years, I would have expected the robots already in the orchard, but uh, we got them in packing sheds, but we don't have them in the orchard. So I'm a little bit surprised that that didn't develop a little bit quicker. But anyway, I'm not working in that field, but we've got all the reasons why they probably don't have the robots yet. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's a little bit of story for me. I see that, Marcel, like the uh, like the innovation in terms of variety, I think is unbelievable, particularly in the, the pear space, you know, the amount of new pears and, uh, you know, different styles and trying to get to more of a, you know, more of a consumer preferred varieties. And it reminds me of the tomato category, maybe probably 10 to, over that, maybe 10 to 15 years ago, where we went from field, field grown tomatoes that were all the same and, You've only got to work, walk into the supermarket now and look at the tomato category and you've got every shape and size and colour. And, um, you know, between the apple and pears, I think it's a really exciting time that it's re replicating that. We've got so many different choices and um, and I'm sure there's a lot of competition for that that little bit of shelf space of um, the specific brand. Um, and um, I don't know if you want to make any comment, but obviously new varieties bring new challenges to, to manage them in the field. It's obviously a lot of cost up front to establish a new variety in a you know, a new club variety. Um, maybe what you're seeing in terms of, um, you know, getting the best out of new trees that maybe you're less familiar with than uh, ones that have been around for a long time? No, that's correct. I mean, it is a challenge for a grower. I mean, we can easily say that uh, establishing one hectare of orchard is between that $100,000 to $160,000 a hectare if you put netting over the top. Um, it is big investments for the growers, and it is. Um, I always say that's the biggest problem with the club varieties. Which one are you going with? You know, it's, it's, you need that return on investment. And in general, it has been good. I have to say, I don't, I, I don't deny that that the apple industry, the category, has been probably successful to make high yields. You know, we. We in Australia, I would say we, we can almost say from 70 to 80 tons is almost a norm, but those high dense systems, we're doing almost 120 tons, you know, and I think the potential for 140 tons is not, definitely not, um, it could be possible to do that, but we don't do it just for the eating quality again, you know, it's just, I think there is a limit what, what a tree can produce and also have that, what you said with the tomatoes, we need that eating experience from the consumers. And I think the high yields, what even when New Zealand say 160 tons a hectare, I don't say that's not possible, but the eating quality is not there. On those high yielding blocks, we got a problem with the color, and not so much the color, but just the internal eating quality, I would say. Mm. Yeah. yeah, as you say, <clears throat> new challenges with new varieties. Is it a bit like in... Um with uh, breeding of new things too, that, you know, if we're breeding for one particular outcome, um, do, are there other things in apples? Like, do you get all pears? Are there slippages in disease or pest tolerance or anything like that? 
Uh, yeah, we got challenged enough with the new varieties in apples and uh, pork, and the disease is probably not so much different um, which variety we have, although live brown apple moths can be a little bit more in pink ladies when that's a much longer growing season. But um, having said that, we got plenty of challenges when you plant a new variety. Firstly, it is new to this country, we don't have experience. We got a hotter climate than where they come from in general. There's, we can see more pit in the fruit. Uh, there's some areas like Tasmania is for that variety fantastic. And then another variety is better in Shepparton. There's, you have to pick almost a radio to grow some certain varieties. And again, with stone fruit, coming back to stone fruit, maybe 10 years ago we had probably 30, 40 new varieties coming in, and in the end, there's probably only five what is left out of those 30 varieties, but we grow. Look, it costs a lot of growers a lot of money. You, you plant the wrong variety, and then you have to replant again. And one of my brothers always said, uh, if you're a fruit grower, you don't have to go to the casino, you gamble anyway. This, <laughs> it is worldwide to which, which variety, which club you're going with, uh, and I said quite often, it is not a variety where you go to look to the marketers, can you work with the marketers, and it's almost more important than the variety, you know. It, but it is a lot of challenging for the growers. Um, look, it is very difficult even uh, to advise growers which club, which variety they would be going with in the future. But there will be definitely, we got another four or five new apple varieties coming into Australia. This, I would say, watch this space, we're going to see four or five new um, varieties coming in again, you know, uh, and some varieties will not make it, but um, anyway, we're going to see the next 10 years what happens. Yeah, for sure. I've also been interested to see the um, the packaging uh, innovation, you know, around, um, mm. you know, some, some branded apples going into small you know, plastic tubes and even more recently going away from you know, maybe a, a one kilo pre-pack that was, was in a plastic sleeve now in, in all paper containers. So there's a lot of innovation from the, the stone and poem industry that I think is really you know, moving forward that, um, you know, it's worth watching. Yeah. I yeah. noticed also, sorry, um, Marcel cut you off there, I think, but uh, I was just going to say also I've noticed that in the vegetables as well, just with these uh, piece, you know, pieces for lunchbox, different size fruit and innovations like that that have come about really competing, you know, to get people to eat fruit and vegetables instead of uh, packets of chips and biscuits and whatever. So you got to, yeah, the packaging bit, as you say, Troy, is uh, really another innovation in itself. No, that's true. And I... I just um, wanted to say also, like, in Europe, it is interesting that when the COVID virus broke out, actually the people increased in fruit and vegetables, mm-hmm. actually dramatically, they bought more, they want healthier food. Mm. But I find it amazing that we didn't see that happening in Australia. Mm. Um, I thought that trend would be the same, but it didn't happen. And I'm. I'm really curious why that not happens, you know. But uh, anyway, I'm not a marketer, but uh, we should, we should, we should explore that one. We should explore that one, and if we can get an answer, we should bring it on to a future Bayer Hortcast, I reckon, because, yeah, you, it's exactly right. Um, what is the 
magic ingredient in some of that other food. I don't know. No, that's true. But again, I think uh, the trend in Europe is actually to buy less Mars bars and more healthier snacks. Mm. And that's what I'm saying, you know. And, mm. we, and here we didn't increase our sales. Uh, but maybe, yeah, I'm all more thinking we pick a little bit late this year as well with, with the crop of apples, you know, where the eating quality is not the same as other years, I would say, and maybe that's a reason, I'm not sure. Yeah, and they say the cycle, if a uh, consumer does get a, a bad apple, it's to say, or not so good apple, then there's quite a period of time they may not buy apples next week at the supermarket, and I guess that can have an impact, yeah? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, they say it is six weeks before that, that consumer buy an apple again. It wow. takes about six weeks, a bad experience. This, um, yeah. yeah. Well, let's face it, have you ever had a bad Mars bar? <laughs> No. no, no, but then, but it is actually a little bit of pet hate for me. Actually, I, I, when I go to in, um, in, um, say, in, um, how say that demonstration or something from something, and and somebody compare a Mars bar to an apple, I say, look, I don't want to hear that. That's so stupid. Mm. It is like you manufacture a car, but you don't manufacture an apple, yep. and I think. The comparison between a Mars bar and apple should have never been, whoever marketer put that in place, is for me a zero more or less already. But you know, it is not a Mars bar where you sell. I said you should sell a large product. And mm. even if it is a little bit of hill mark on it, it is still a natural product compared to something you manufacture out of a factory where you have total control. This, I don't like to be compared to a Mars bar with my apples. No, that's yeah. a really that is a really good point. You're right. That's a manufactured thing, not a not a health not a grown natural product. Yeah, very good point. Very wise words there, Marcel. Any future thoughts, Marcel, for the industry? What, what do you think? When we look, when we sit back in another ten years' time or fifteen years' time, what, what's going to look different? Do you think? Uh, to be honest, I can see, and um, like I, you guys said already before, although I can't travel, I I know the industry, especially the Apple industry, in and out. And um, I think the challenge for this industry is actually to uh, increase our consumption for fruit. We have a very, uh, we are producing very consistent crops over the last couple of years. And uh, we only increase our yields in general, or we expand it, but the market is not growing with us. There's, I hope that in 10 years time that we can say we developed an export market for a lot of products, like even the avocados in West Australia, you know, that uh, at the moment is the glut in there, you know, too many avocados. Mm. But you think the export market is great. We have one thing against us is high labor costs. But again, if robots would come in and you set up the future, the orchards, like I said, with high gains, lots of leaders, easy robot access, then we probably can compete again with other countries. This, I, I think when we had robots, and like I saw in uh, Mentioner, I think the growers would love to have the technology to use, you know, even robotic counting apples, robotic spraying. I think that's where the future is be. And um, the technology is already there, okay? This anonymous spraying, you saw that in, in the crop farm, and you see that more than in the apple watches, but I think that's where we're lacking behind a little bit. I think in Europe, I know that also some growers in Holland already spray four years in orchard without anybody on the tractor. Mm. This 
it is very easy to do. The technology is there, but um, we're going to save labor on that field, you know, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, really, really good point. And Troy, anything else from your side, mate? Oh, not, not really. I think, I mean, the export markets, I think I agree with Marcel. I think, you know, that's, there's so much untapped um, potential. And I know from my personal experience last year, running some work in late season peaches, some most magnificent orchards that was destined for China and the market fell away and it wasn't worth that grower putting those peaches from the tree into a box and sending them anywhere. So wow. uh, to see that fruit just fall way onto the ground, like it's just such a waste and, um, you know, I think hopefully over time that, you know, whether they're more stable export markets or, or some more options or, you know, to get away from that pure waste is um, is something that I think, you know, I think all, all horticultural industries are trying to reduce waste. And um, just to see that last year was really, really disappointing late in the year um, and, and really out of the control of the, grow, the growers' um, circumstances at that specific time. So hopefully, um, you know, I agree with Marcel that export scene can, um, can grow. Yeah, really, uh, really strong to finish off there. Thank you, Marcel and Troy, for those words of wisdom there and thoughts. I think um, it's really worth reflecting on and let's hope we can really move it towards that over the next period of time going into the future because the world's certainly changed, but people fundamentally still need to eat and let's uh, let's get them interested in our produce. So, uh, Marcel, any final words from you before we wrap up? And, I, and I'll give out uh, your website address again because it's the best way to get into contact with yourself. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I would say the best advice is that we concentrate on marketing probably more our products. Um, we, what we do with growing is probably, we, we, there's always, can be always a little bit better, but I think the challenge for the future is the marketing of our fruit, or it is on club varieties, or on any apple, or a stone fruit. That's what I would Thank you. Fantastic. No, Marcel, thank you very much. Uh, and your website, marcelveens.com.au, good way to get in touch with you. Marcel, thanks very much for coming on to Bayer Hortcast uh, for this episode, and we really appreciate your time in talking to Troy and myself. No worries. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you, Troy. We'll catch you around somewhere, mate. Thanks, Ray. Bye, guys. See you around. Bye. Thanks for listening to this Bayer Hortcast. To get more information about anything you heard on today's episode, phone 1-800-804-479 to get in touch with us or visit the web at crop.bayer.com.au. Thanks for listening.